So we'll be turning to the letter of First Peter, if you'd like to prepare and turn there. And as you do, let me just pray for us. Lord, we are just so thankful for your goodness and for your grace. Lord, it's our desire every time that we meet, but certainly this morning, Lord, just to encounter your love, to encounter you, the fullness of who you are. Lord, that you would change us, that you would transform us, that we might shine as light in the midst of a darkened and darkening world. That you might transform us so that we might transform others. We might point them towards the unfailing love, the limitless grace, the goodness, the mercy, the forgiveness, the joy and the life and the abundance that's found as we encounter your presence. So Lord, I just pray as we read your scriptures, I thank you that your word is always alive. It just is. But would we know the reality of that life at work in us? Come Holy Spirit, anoint this time, I pray. And would you accomplish and do all that you desire to do in us and through us for the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Just let the weight of your presence settle upon us. Settle our hearts. Lord, remove the distractions. May we hear clearly, Lord, and we don't mind whether you speak in the mighty rushing wind or the still small whisper. But Lord, give us ears to hear this morning what your Spirit is saying to us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <sighs> Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we are in our series Preaching, studying, hopefully just allowing the Lord to do what he needs to do through this wonderful little book. I know it's taking a little bit of time for us to get through. It's been nearly six months and we've nearly finished the second chapter. Praise the Lord. And even then, there's certain passages of scripture and this is one where it just kind of feels like there is far more than you could ever pack into even a couple of messages. And we've begun this theme last week, talking about honor, honor, submission, respect, not necessarily towards the Lord, although that's applicable, but particularly Peter talking about in the midst of society. We talked about shotguns, been amazed how many people have come to say to me, oh, I want to tell you this gun story, that gun story, and the other gun story, but it feels a little bit this morning like this is shotgun preaching, so... Hold on, we're just going to try and get through as much as we can, cover as much ground, and hopefully in the middle there, we might hit the target somewhere. Lord willing. Lord help us, we pray. So Peter sets this scene in chapter 2. We're not going to read the whole passage we did last week, but I want to point out a couple of key words. These words we're looking for is honor, respect, being subject to authorities, and let's pick up from verse 11. This is where he, or verse 12 is where he sets the scene. Peter says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. So the contact, the context, this whole passage is our conduct in the midst of the world. The midst of whatever circumstance, sphere you find yourself in, be it school, 
be it mother's groups, be it out shopping at the supermarket, be it any and all of the above contexts. Keep your conduct in the world, in your life, all aspects, not just in the church, but outside the four walls of the church. Keep them honourable. Verse 13 says, Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We covered that briefly last time. Every human institution, whether it's the emperor, governors, every man-made legality in the world in which we live. Be subject. Verse 17, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and then this extra reference here to honor the emperor. Remembering, of course, that Peter's writing in a context where the emperor was Nero. And to cut a short story short, he wasn't a good, pleasant, godly guy. He would light the Christians alight to uh, increase the ambience of his garden parties. This was a wicked, evil emperor. And yet still, even in that instance, Peter says, honor him. Honor, respect. And then there's one example in particular that he gives us, and we will read this through because I'll mention this quickly. Verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You see, there is this theme here, this theme of honor and this theme of being subject, respect, submission, not only to those who deserve it, not only to those who have earned respect, but to those even, he says, whom are unjust to those who are evil. They don't deserve it at all. There's nothing worthy in them or their conduct that is worthy, and yet still be subject with all respect. Verse 19, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it to you when you sin and you're beaten if you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you will endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. But to this you've been called, because Christ has given you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we've been healed. We were straying like sheep. But we now have returned to the shepherd and overseas, overseer of your souls. So by way of review for those who are here and just to get us up to speed, the topic we really focused on last week was just introducing ourselves to this whole picture of honor and respect and submission in that context of the world around us. We talked about the reality that it is a dishonorable world. There's very little honor to be found, whether it's on the sporting field, whether it's in the halls of parliament, whether it's on Facebook or any other form of social media. We do not do as a society honor well. We do dishonor particularly well. But I now want to take, that's pretty much as far as we got. We talked about the need for honor, but we didn't even go as far as to define it. So I want to give us a definition for what is it that Paul, uh, that Peter is talking to us about. What does honor mean? What does it mean to be in submission? And then look at two different realities for us in our lives and in our society if we could just grasp a hold of this key 
I believe it truly is a key in the kingdom of honor. So first of all, some definitions. This word honor literally means to give something appropriate weight. Now, the context is a society in which if you were to value an item, you would weigh it on the scales with a weight or a measure of talents or currency. And that amount of weight of currency determined the value of this particular object. And so really what Peter is saying, first of all, he's, he's saying you've got to realize that there is a weight or that there is an honor that is due to everybody. From the most wicked ruler you could think of, Nero in their day, I won't suggest any particular politicians or leaders in our time, you can fill in the blank, from whoever that person is, that epitome of someone who deserves no honor, to the everybodies. He says, honor everybody. So that includes every single person that you come in contact with. There is a sense in which as Christians, there is and there must be a place for honor. That's literally what that word means. The other word we've talked about that we see through this passage is to be subject. It's one word in the Greek. Some translations say to be in submission. Some others say respect. But this is actually a military word. And the word literally means to arrange troops or divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. That's what it means. And you can think in the context of the Roman army with this ordered precision. There's implied in this word both the need for the structure. Without this structure of the military division, it would fall apart. It would be open and susceptible to attack. So for the good of the whole, there needs to be this sense of submission, but also for the good of the individual. If there's a whole troop and one individual who's doing their own thing, they're putting their own life at risk. So it's literally a Greek military command. And remember, the one example we looked at in terms of an example that Peter gives us in this passage is slaves and masters. It's not an example perhaps that is particularly familiar to most of us. You may feel like a slave at times as you're doing the dishes, taking out the trash, etc. But we obviously don't live in a society where slaves are part of our culture. But you've got to remember that Peter is writing in the context of an empire, the Roman Empire, where there was... It's estimated somewhere in the ballpark of 60 million slaves. And these slaves, if you look at uh, the society of the time, they were not even considered human. They were lower than human. They were property. They were owned by someone and they had no rights. So in the midst of that context, 60 million slaves, the gospel has come along. And we just read a couple of weeks ago, Peter talks about us being a free people. The Apostle Peter. Paul talks about similar themes. He says, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free. So what are you going to think as a slave? If you're subject to this Roman Empire, you have no rights, you're going to think, I'm free. But what do I do now with my freedom? I'm a Christian. I'm a, I've been set free. Well, Peter wants to make it really clear that this newfound freedom that we have in Christ is not in any way a call to rebel against authority structures. Because that would be the logical conclusion, wouldn't it? Let's overthrow this oppression. We have no rights, but in Christ we do. Therefore, let's rise up against the Roman Empire. And Peter's saying you've got to understand this. As a believer, yes, you're free. But the gospel is not a call to rebel against authority structures, but to live within them with an even greater passion and purpose. He's saying this is not a call to less responsibility. 
You're free, so you don't need to obey your master. He's saying, no, this is a call to even greater responsibility. It's not a call to less honor. It's a call to greater honor. That's what he's saying. Wherever you're called, we're not slaves, but whatever place you find yourself in as Christians, you should be committing yourself to excel everybody else around you, to obey and to give honor when it's not deserved and to serve and to submit Now, often Christians are known in workplaces and settings for exactly the opposite, aren't they? Let's just be honest. Christians are known as the ones you you talk to, perhaps a mechanic or someone who's done some work for a Christian, and they sort of, at times, think that they are above the integrity of actually paying their bills. But this is a higher call to honor and respect and submission. You see, it's interesting, isn't it, that so often... I was thinking about this in a conversation I had recently. We respect and submit some aspects of authority over our lives, but not others. I was having a conversation with a, a neighbor. We've been now 12 months in our new house and moved out of town, wanted to get to know our neighbors. Obviously, just for the benefit of getting to know them, it's good to know your neighbors. But there was one particular neighbor. He's our closest neighbor. Him and his wife and two kids live there. And every time I drive past the driveway, I can't help but noticing that he has all of this lovely earthworking machinery. He's got bobcats. He's got diggers. He's got trenches. He's got the work. So I said, sweetheart, I just have this feeling. I don't know if it's the Lord or not, but I think we need to befriend them first. <laughs> have them over to, you know, preach the gospel and see if I can borrow his bobcat. I'm just being honest. Just being honest. So we did, we had them over, got on really well with them. As I said, two kids, two boys, same age as our girls. And we're talking about a lot of things. He was sharing just about, it was in the context, there was stuff happening as it seems to be regularly internationally, just how blessed we are to live in this country. He was talking about school that the kids go to and his parents are elderly, but the care that they get, all these benefits, it's just a wonderful society. It was a good conversation, but then we got on to paying taxes. And the, the theme of the conversation or the flavor of the conversation changed somewhat. And he said, I just can't believe that the government would demand me to pay all this money. I mean, it's my hard-earned cash and he's got a, his own business. So he says, I get a lot of income coming in and I do all these creative strategies to avoid paying tax. I didn't tell him that I used to do a bit of work in the tax area as an accountant. I tried to just forget. I'm not hearing anything. I don't need to borrow his bobcat. I'm not hearing anything at all. But he was telling me all these ways he avoided, and he, it was, he was just, you could see he was agitated about the fact that he had to give all this money to the government. And I couldn't help it. I tried for too long just to, it was grading against me, and I said to him something along these sort of lines. I said, isn't it funny how so often we want all the benefits, but we want to avoid all the responsibility? And as soon as it came out, I thought, oh, oh. I said, what, what I mean is, what I mean is... You know, you could see this as being robbed of what's rightfully yours, or you could see it as a rightful investment, as an obligation to invest in all the benefits you receive, as a good thing, the privilege of living in the society and this desire to see it become an even better society. And he sort of thought, "Mm," he said, oh, I've never thought of it that way. I didn't know how the conversation would go, but it ended okay, and he still lent me his bobcat. (laughs) So I was happy. 
The point of the example is so often we pick and choose, don't we? We're happy to submit to things, to receive the benefit for things, to come under things that we like, that appeal to us, that are going to give us benefit. But what about when it's something that is not giving you any benefit and even worse, you really, really do not like its authority in your life, be it a boss, be it paying taxes to the government, be it anything else. Well, from a Christian point of view, Peter is making it really clear that we should take the high road, that there should be this mentality, not even to do the benchmark, but I want to pay extra in my taxes as much as I possibly can. Imagine doing that. Sitting down, to, I'm not saying you have to do that, just saying that's the principle. Not just doing the minimum, but Lord, no, what, what is the rightful amount for me to pay? Because this is the right thing to do as a Christian. How can I give honor in dishonorable situations? There is a higher call, remembering that Christ is the example. He always is. Peter's saying, love the way Christ has loved you, serve the way Christ has served you, honor the way that he has honored you when you least deserved it. What would Jesus do? Well, he'd probably send Peter out to go fishing, wouldn't he? And say, get some money to pay the taxes. That's another sermon. Let's move on. So what I want to talk about with that in mind, with those sort of definitions of honor, everybody being worthy of weight, with this thing of the need for us to submit, let's ask the why question. Okay, why? Why is it that Peter has devoted so much of his little letter? He's talked about some wonderful things to do with grace and just this incredible picture of the grace that the Lord Jesus has given us, has extended to us the way that it's changed us and set us free. Why would he then spend this big passage of Scripture talking about the need for honor? Why? Why is honor so important? I'm glad you asked. First of all, I would say, as I said, there's two realities. First is a personal reality that we've got to understand when it comes to this picture of honor. And obviously in Scripture, this is not the first place that honor is mentioned. I'd encourage you in your personal time, go and have a look at the Ten Commandments. God's top ten in Exodus chapter 20. We won't turn there for the interest of time. But you'll find right back there as the Lord gives to his people his top ten list. There is a commandment about honor. No doubt you've all memorized it. What is it? Honor your father and your mother. Honor your parents. Let's think about that for a moment. This is God's top 10 list. If you were going to come up with a list of top 10 requirements, would this one feature on the list? See, there's some that are shoo-ins, aren't there? Don't worship any other gods. That makes sense. Don't murder. Murder's never a good idea. But honor your parents. And notice, he doesn't even say love your parents. Now, that's not an excuse not to love your parents. But he says, honor your parents. And remember that as the Lord gives this command, this is not in the Garden of Eden, in this place where people were perfect before sin. This is in a fallen world, knowing that none of us have had perfect parents. My girls, of course, are the exception. None of us have had perfect parents. We have had parents who have wronged us. They are broken people living on a broken planet. But again, there is no qualifier here. It doesn't say honor your parents if they're worthy of honor. 
honour your parents when they've done things that are worthy of your honour? Regardless, there's no qualifier. He says, honour your parents simply because they are your parents. They are worthy of your honour, your respect and your submission. And you see, it's interesting as well that of, of all of this list of Ten Commandments, there's only one that has a special blessing, and it's this command. And if you read on, what does it say? Honour your mother and your father. you probably got it up here, have you? No, you haven't. So that it will go well with you in the land that I'm bringing you into. Remembering that they'd been delivered, they'd been set free. The Lord's heart and desire was to bring them into the fullness of his promise, into the promised land. The promised land was before them, and he gives them this command. He says, you need to learn honour, because if you learn honour, things will go well for you in this land that I'm to bring you into. What's the other side of the equation? If we do not honour, what will happen? Things will not go well. So we see here there is this reality of honour and things going well, dishonour and things going not so well. Here's a really quick example which illustrates the point. I think I've shared it once before. But so often at the heart and the core of us as human beings is this rebellious spirit. We want to rebel against authorities, and I'm the first to put my hand up to say that I've learnt this lesson the hard way. Amen. Thank you, says the father-in-law. That was a very appropriate moment for you to come in. I appreciate the input. Thank you. But I remember when I'd recently got my license and I was not a good driver. I was the typical teenager, and in fact, I my first car within three days. Decided to go rally bashing up in the hills and it didn't end up well. But the other place where something used to just take over me was when I'd go around a roundabout, no one else was round, and all of a sudden there's this race driver moment. Anyone have this? And the roundabout becomes a straight and through. Just, I used to justify it saying I'm taking the most direct route, I'm saving the car, I'm saving the planet, and I'm having a bit of fun doing it. What could possibly be wrong with this? Well, I did this one morning... No one was around. I did the straighten through. I was pretty happy. It was a beautiful line, big smile on my face. And then unbeknownst to me, there was a policeman sitting just on the other side of the rise. So he put his lights on. He pulled me over and he says, son, what do you call that? I said, fun. I was just having a bit of fun. I genuinely asked, I'm just having fun. Just having fun. He's like, well, I don't call it fun. I call that very poor driving. And in fact, I, I think I'm going to give you a fine. And something within me, I know this never happens to any of you, but I heard that word fine, something rose up, a sense of injustice. Here I am, I'm just having fun, I'm minding my own business, I'm saving the planet, and here is this policeman out to get me. And so I let him know, I said, this is ridiculous, you've got to be kidding me, there is nobody else around on the road, nobody was in, oh, look, look at me, I'm smiling, I'm having fun, you know, what right do you have to give me a fine, something along those sort of lines, which I could tell wasn't particularly going down very well. And so he looked at me and he thought for a moment, it's true stories, this is what he said. He said, well, you know, son, technically you actually went through the double lines on the way in and on the way out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two fines. I'm going to double your fine. I tell you what, I was spitting chips and I said, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to take this as long and as far as I can because I've been served an injustice. I did. I wrote my letter of 
complaint and did whatever I could do. The end result was I paid the fine. <laughs> Both of the fines, in fact. Because there is this principle that rebellion brings one into a place of judgment. And yet, I had another instance, and this is some years later. Again, I was driving in the car. It wasn't my finest moment of driving. I think this particular morning, and I remember I had, I had Annabelle, my oldest daughter, in the back. So some years later, I'd settled down. I'd had kids, met and married my beautiful wife. And I was heading that morning. It was early off to meet my parents for breakfast. Don't know where the rest of the family was. That's probably where part of the issue was. My wife wasn't in the car with me, kept me in control. But I have this horrible habit, and I'm not promoting this, of, you know, if I've got a cup of coffee and things going on, I just drive with my knees. Is there any other knee drivers? In fact, my girls are fascinated with it. They say, Dad, can you do the knee driving thing? I want to see it. So I was there. It was morning. Nobody else was around. I had a cup of coffee. And in fact, right at that moment, the text message went off, and I, I don't promote this at all. This is a sin. I've repented. I've had ministry. But I picked up my phone to see who the message was from. So you can imagine the scene. Annie's in the back. I've got the car. I've got the coffee. You're quickly looking at the message, ran, round the roundabout with the knees. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job, pretty special. In that moment, there was a policeman just on the other side. He disagreed. He said, son, what are you doing? True story. And I, I, I honestly had that moment. Again, I had this flashback and I thought, here I am, I'm being wronged again, I need to say something. <laughs> and yet, in that moment, there was just this check in my spirit. And I, I remember him saying, he said something along the lines of, you know, I saw you, you were driving with your knees, you were driving recklessly, you had coffee in the car, you were on your mobile phone. He said, I don't have enough paper to issue all the fines that you were deserving. But I said to him in that moment, I said, sir, I just want to say, you are 100% right. You are correct. I was in the wrong. There is nothing I can say that would justify my behavior, and I'd apologize, and I'll take any fines that you think you deem necessary. Something along those sort of lines. And instantly, as soon as I said that, I could see something in his face just changed. He was like, hmm. And he said to me, looked at me, he said, you know what? Don't worry about the fines. Just don't do it again. And he sent me on his way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Mercy never tasted so sweet. But there is this reality personally that honor and submission opens doors. It releases favor, whereas living with rebellion, particularly against authority, releases judgment. In fact, let's see that in scriptures. Turn with me, if you've got your Bible, really quickly. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Here's a passage you can't really not go to when you're talking about this issue of submitting to authorities. Romans 13, verse 1. It's Paul writing here, and he says this. Let every person, that's you and I, be subject to the governing authorities. And this is, a, this is an incredibly mind-stretching phrase. Catch this. He says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that do exist have been instituted by God. Word there could be translated ordained. Literally, every authority structure that you see around you has at least been allowed by God. Allow that to just settle and mess with your mind a little. But there is a logical conclusion if that in case is the reality, which, of 
course, I believe it is, because Scriptures proclaim that, that God is the one ultimately who oversees the affairs of men. So if that is the case, verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists God and what he has appointed. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And here's the conclusion. If we're resisting God, those who resist will incur judgment. Ooh, exactly. Not may occur, not might occur. It's not a suggestion, it's a reality. And literally that phrase there means those who resist, those who live with that rebellious attitude will sit under judgment, will sit under that cloud of judgment. And you think, oh, is that, is that like New Testament? I mean, is it, it's in Romans, but how, how does that reality fit in with things? Well, let me explain a little bit how I think it fits in. Because First Peter makes a similar sort of phrase, if you just flick over to chapter 5. He says, live with humility... Why? This is in chapter 5, verse 5. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Again, the picture there is literally God himself remembering. Peter's talking to believers, but he's saying there is this reality you've got to get. Because if you live with pride, if you live with that rebellious heart, then God himself will oppose you. God will stand against you. And again, you think, how, how does this fit in with mercy and love and kindness and the graciousness of God sitting under judgment, opposing us? Well, I would say this. This is what I've learned from being a father to four beautiful girls. You know, I love my kids dearly, but because I love them, I give them boundaries. And they don't always appreciate my boundaries. They say, Dad, why do I have to eat my vegetables? Why do I have to go to bed at a certain time? Why do I have to do that? And do this and do other things. But there is a reality that I set boundaries for them because I know what they need in their life. I know the way that they need to relate towards others. And it's not only things to do with me. I say, this is the way that you treat your poppy, your nanny. This is the way you treat elders. This is the way you show manners and kindness and consideration towards others. And you see, my heart as a father is not to control them. It's not to put restriction after restriction after restriction, but it's to see them walk in greater and greater freedom. But what do I need to see in order for them to walk in greater freedom, for me to, to release more blessing into their life? I need to see them submitting to the authority that I've put around them. I do. The more they submit, and I can see, look, they're honoring that. They're honoring, they're honoring me as their father. They're honoring things even that they think are silly and evil and wicked, like broccoli and cabbage and Brussels sprouts. The more I see them honoring that, the more I can release the fullness of what I have for them as a father. But the more that they stand in opposition, rebel against my authority, the more that I, as a father, in my love for them, will stand in opposition to them. And so really this comes back to the loving heart of a father. That's why I believe this commandment, the top ten, honor your parents. The Lord is dealing with the reality that at the core of every human being is this sense of wanting to rebel against him and his authority, and he's saying we need to, to learn from the youngest age, from the time that we're first born, to honor those who the Lord has put in our lives so that he might release grace 
See, have you ever had a time or a season in your life where it just feels like there's an opposition? And sometimes it is the enemy, sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes you're like, God, this is just a hard season. I just, I cannot push through. I would suggest that at times that's actually the Lord himself. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying there are times that if you need it, the Lord himself will stand in opposition to you so that you can get this. He doesn't want you to be sitting under judgment. He wants you to learn to honor so that he can release grace. That's the invitation. Pride, rebellion, we sit under judgment, the Lord opposes us. Honor, grace is released. Not only to us, but through us into the world around us. We've got to start with this reality of learning the key of honoring the authorities in our lives. I know we've ne nearly out of time again. How's the shotgun going? Are we getting something? <laughs> I want to very quickly, and I promise I'll make it quick, because we've already spent two we've already spent two weeks looking at this particular theme. But grab again First Peter, because I want you to see it here in the scriptures, chapter two and verse twelve. There's another reality that's beyond just the reality in our own lives of submitting to authority, of showing honor. Verse 12 again, remember, he began this whole theme by saying, keep your conduct honorable. Why? Well, they're going to speak against you as evildoers. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. But there is an end result, and this is the end result, that they, being the people that you've shown honor to, will see your good works and glorify God. That they'll see your good works and they will glorify God on the day of visitation. See, I'd say this, the mission is always the gospel, always has been, to proclaim the kingdom. But the method is as important as the mission and the method is honor. We touched on this last week, but let me reiterate. You see, there's this principle of the kingdom. Every other worldview Every other religious system, worldly system, political system comes to exert its authority from the outside in. Comes to control, comes to... That's what we see around us at the moment. There's this clash of kingdoms. And so often we as believers, we talked about it as I said last time, we want to pick up the shotgun and join the fight. We want to show as much dishonor as we can. We want to come and try and enforce the kingdom. The problem is that the kingdom of God is always an inside-out kingdom. He comes to save from the inside out. That's why the example of Jesus is so important. To bring freedom, not just to judge the sin, but to save the sinner. It's not about external conforming. It's about internal transforming. The Pharisees came to Jesus in Luke 17. They criticized him saying, you keep talking about the kingdom. Where is it? Come on, show me the kingdom. Where's the throne? How's it going to work? Where's your, your legal system? I mean, where's his kingdom? And Jesus says, it's not a kingdom that you're going to say, there it is, here it is, there's a throne. He said, because the kingdom's within you. It's internally transforming. Now, the kingdom one day will come in that physical sense that those who were around Jesus believed that he was going to establish during his time. But for now, there's a mission. That's what Peter is saying. He's saying you've been called to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he had every right then to say, now go 
and enforce that upon others because yours is the true kingdom. Do whatever it takes. But instead, he takes another approach. He says, you're called to proclaim the kingdom and here is how it's going to work. You're going to be planted in difficult places. You're going to have masters that mistreat you. You're going to have teachers. You're going to have parents that are not worthy of honor. But I want you to show honor, to live with honor, even when people don't deserve it, so that they'll see your works and glorify your God on the day of visitation. I want you to change the world around you from the inside out, not from the outside in. Thank you. See, the heart of motivation of honor is not just to release favor of God in our own lives, but it is to change the world around us. Allow God to do what he needs to do in us so that we can transform the world's the world around us. I've been encouraged. I'll just finish with a couple of testimonies. I love it when the Lord kind of has a bit of a theme that he's doing in the midst of people's lives. And I've been hearing quite a few testimonies about what the Lord's been doing in people's workplaces. And not always easy workplaces. Uh, what One story, someone you'd know, and I had his permission to share this, Greg Thompson, he's got a great story in recent times. And just simple things, simple ways of, of just testifying to the Lord Jesus in the midst of non-Christian environments. And he just had a work situation that was particularly difficult. He prayed. The Lord sovereignly answered his prayer to the extent that the rest of his colleagues were amazed. And in fact, they came to him and said, I think his boss it was, and then some of the other co-workers, they were in a, a conversation None of them are Christians. He's Christians. And before he'd said anything, the boss said, you know what, Greg? I just had this feeling you must have been praying. Were you praying? And he said, yes, actually I was. I prayed and you wouldn't believe it. Within 30 minutes, he was the answer. And the Lord's opened up doors for him then to witness and to share to his co-workers. I had someone else who is a family member of someone who goes to the church. This uh, particular guy lives down in Melbourne. And he was sharing. He's a, a cabinet maker. And the Lord's just been really placing on his heart to love and to show honor to his co-workers. As one guy in particular, he was a, um, a, a guy who had a troubled up, upbringing. He was covered in tattoos. He had a foul mouth. He's the least likely person ever to respond to the gospel. But the Lord put this particular guy on this Christian's heart, and he began to just show him honor, just words of encouragement. And that's opened up a door to where he's actually shared the gospel. And all of a sudden, this guy, he couldn't believe it. This guy asked him all these questions about faith and about God. He came to church with him a couple of times. And he's begun then to tell all the other workmates about all, you know, all that he's learned about God and the Christian faith. And this guy said, it's amazing to see what the Lord's doing. He came back. He was out on a job to the, the workplace, the, uh, the workshop. There's about half a dozen of them who work there. And he said, I walked in and I heard the Christian radio station playing. Remember, there's a bun bunch of tradies and they normally have all sorts of music. He's like, that's a Christian song. What on earth is going in? So he walked into the middle and he said, guys, what are you guys listening to? And so all of them said, they said oh, well, you know, we just, we just decided for a bit of a change. We might listen to the Christian radio station. And it's pretty good. We're going to do this now. It's going to listen to Christian music in the workplace. He said, I couldn't believe what the Lord's done in the workplace just with a simple decision to honor people and to love them.
I had another guy who, this is uh, the week before last, who was sharing to me. He's uh, a guy 30 years of age who worked in a supermarket. And he had two separate stories in a week. He's been praying, Lord, would you give me opportunities in my workplace? And within a week, there was these two people both in need of physical healing. And so in both cases, he just felt the prompting of the Lord to step out and say, look, I'm a Christian. It's a bit weird, but can I pray for you? And so in both instances, I said, yes, please do. And both times they were healed. In one instance, this guy, and I forget the exact condition, but he'd been struggling with something for over 10 years. And he said, I, I, I've you know, seen every doctor to try and get rid of this issue, and I feel completely healed. Can I give you some money? I wanted to pay him for it. He said, no, I don't want any money, but let me just share about Jesus. Let me share about Jesus. And so he's had some opportunities to just share the gospel in that place that he's called to. So there's these two hearts of honor. One heart is this place of this personal need for us in our lives to recognize the importance of honor. But there's also this call to recognize the need for honor and the place honor has in transforming our homes and our schools and our workplaces. And what if each of us in the places that we're called, in the circles we're planted, schools, workplaces, mothers' groups, the Hyatt sauna, from police, the bosses at work who have it in for us, to people we bump into in our everyday life. What if we view that as an opportunity to show honor, to live for the glory of God? Not to serve, but to serve and to see his grace released in a way that genuinely transforms the world around us. That is the mission and that is the call and that is the heart, I believe, that Peter is saying about what it means to be people of honor. So I want us to pray. I just want you to, uh, to turn your attention to the Lord. I just want to ask you two questions just as Wayne comes to quietly play as we bring this, this time together to a close. I don't want to leave this space without asking you two intentional questions. The first question is this. I don't want you to be real about these two questions. The first question is, is there anyone in your life might be a person, it might even be a group of people, a type of people, a situation, a circumstance in which you know you are struggling to show honor. Could be your parents at home. Could be in your school, a teacher, certain teachers. Could be in your workplace. Could be any and all of these. But is there any situations and circumstances in your life that you know you are living with that sense of a rebellious attitude. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to repent of that. We've talked about both the need for us. The scriptures proclaim if you live in that place, you're actually living under judgment. That God himself will oppose you. But the invitation is that if we Allow forgiveness, and there is a time and place for forgiveness. All of us have had bad experiences with authority at times. Allowing the Lord to bring forgiveness so that we can live with honor, that his grace might be released to us. The second question is this. Is there one place in your life, one situation, that the Lord would put on your heart that you can, with him, with prayer, see turned around 
from the inside out for the glory of God. And again, that might be your school, might be your workplace. But I want to encourage you that whatever that place is that the Lord leads you to, every time you're there this week, every time you walk in the door of your house or the school or the workplace, you just pray this prayer. Lord, give me moments to show honor to those around me today. So Lord, I just thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for this challenge. And Lord, we admit that it is a challenge to be a people of honor, especially in a world and in a society where honor is few and far between. Lord, we acknowledge that it's not easy, that if you choose to come and to live lives that we're called to live, that there will be abuses of authority, that there will be things that happen to us and around us. But Lord, I thank you that there is a call for us to live with honor and see your grace revealed. And I pray that, Lord, for the glory of your name, we would be a people of honor. We pray. Amen.